Thank you, Dan and Ensemble and Instrumentalists for wonderful worship this morning. Turn your Bibles once again to the Lucan chapter 15, a familiar story, the forgiving father or the prodigal son, Luke 15, verse 11. Not everyone is like the father of the parable of the runaway son. Some do not so quickly forgive those who desert them. Not everybody's forgiving like that. A man drove by and saw a late model Mercedes sitting in the yard with a sign that said, Mercedes, $100. Well, he stopped. He's, Surely this is a mistake. You can't buy a late model Mercedes for $100. So he knocked on the door and he asked the woman, confirmed the price. She said, no, that is the price. $100 for that late model Mercedes. Before she could change her mind, he whipped out a Benjamin Franklin and handed it to her. And after the deal was done, he said, now that I've bought the car, can I just ask you why you're selling this car so cheaply? She replied, my husband just ran away with his younger secretary. He told me to sell his car and send him a check for the, pro for the proceeds. Most of us, at some time in our Christian walk, decide to leave home. We decide to go away from the Father, from the family, from God, from the church. This morning, as we look at the parable of the runaway son, if we're honest, we probably find that we too can identify with this story. The first thing we see is we leave home when we think that life is getting away from the Father. We leave home when we think that life is getting away from the Father. Look at verse 11 through 13a. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me and he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on his journey into a distant country. We leave home when we think that life is getting away from the Father. The essence of life for us is now, like the runaway son, immediacy of fulfillment. I want it all now. This young man, probably about 17 years of age, demanded his share of the family estate. This demand left no room for his father's future finances. He was spending his father's retirement, which would eventually be his inheritance anyway. But rather, he wanted it all now, and he wanted it all for himself. He wanted to get away from his father. He wanted to leave his family. He wanted to go as far away from his father's watchful eye as he possibly could. To leave the father, to leave God, is to deny that God knows best and wants the best for us. Some of you here today are not close to the father, as close to the family as you once were. 
You yourself thought that you knew a better way. You no longer wanted to be present with God the Father or be present with his people, the family of the Father, any longer the church. If there's a word picture, Nolan said it in his prayer. I want you to notice verse 13, a distant country, or your translation may say a far country. He wanted to be far away from the father and the family. He wanted to be distant from the father. Being away from the father means we're no longer under his supervision because we ourselves know a better, faster way to a fuller life. We forget that God places restriction on us because God knows what's best for us and God wants what's best for us. This young teenage boy thought at 17 that he knew better than the father. He wanted to go away from the father to a far away country, to a distant land. He wanted to distance himself from the father and the restrictions of the father, from the things that weighed him down and kept him from the immediacy of fulfillment and joy. Well, the second thing we notice We then hit reality of life away from the Father. We then hit reality of life away from the Father. Look at 13b through 16. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. Life away from the father begins with a frenzy of vitality. Everything everything looks good. What freedom we have away from the father and his laws and his rules as restrictions No watchful eye from the Father, no children to hinder us from total freedom, no accountability. In a far country, we live the way we want to. Well, at first, the runaway son had a fabulous time spending all of his inheritance. He made many new friends with his fast money, spending on wine, women, and song. He quickly found that the moment all the money was gone, the new friends left as well. There was a famine in the land, and he had nothing. He was hungry. He took the most humble of all possible jobs for a Jewish boy, feeding the pigs, the swine, which were unclean animals, according to his tradition. And as he was feeding the pigs, he wanted to eat their pods. He was prepared to do so, their food. The boy who wanted independence found himself dependent upon a Gentile swine farmer. Funny. He left the care of his loving father for the pig farm. His life was empty away from the Father. Every time we run away from the Father to the distant land, we find ourselves empty and fulfilled. We find ourselves away from the family and the Father in a moment of famine. Here's a, a third thing. 
We start back when we remember that the Father is good. We head back home when we are reminded that the Father is good. Look at verse 17 through 24. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here from hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found and they began to be merry. We start back home when we remember that the Father is good. Clem the cat came home after eight years of being who knows where. Only Clem the cat knows where he was. A homeowner in Bancroft, Wisconsin heard a cat meowing at the door. He went and he opened the door and a big gray male cat walked in, looked around, jumped up in the old chair he sat in eight years ago. The family couldn't believe their eyes. They had thought the cat to be dead, gone eight years. They asked themselves, where did he go? And what did he do while he was there? And why did he come back home? They have no idea why Clem the cat came home, but he did. They got out pictures of the markings of the cat to compare with the kitten they had had eight years before. And Clem had come home. It was the same big gray male cat. He had come home. Clem was home. It's remarkable. The instincts God gives some animals to go home, to find their way home. Have you heard of homing pigeons? These birds are instinctively bred to find their way home from extremely long distances. Scientists believe they have two mechanisms that allow them to do that. That first, they have a, a compass and a map mechanism. And the compass mechanism allows them to know that they're going in the right direction when they fly. And the map mechanism tells them the distance from where they are to where they want to be, which is home. And actually, in homing pigeon co uh, competitions, they take the birds a thousand miles away from home and let them go. And these homing pigeons even a thousand miles distance, will fly home. Oh, there's a, a longing, and an instinct with them to go home. Some of you have been away from the Father, away from the Father's family for a long time. 
Oh, you might have stopped in from time to time just to see what was going on, but you've not really been here, been close to God, close to God's family with your whole self. Some of you here this morning in this room or watching by broadcast feel empty. You identify with that runaway boy. For you yourself have been running from God, trying to go to a far country away from the Father. You're like the homing pigeon this morning. You are longing for home. Our Lord begins building in us where none of us ever would begin. God comes to us at that moment of human destitution. The runaway boy has to find himself in the pig pen, ready to eat the pig paws before he's willing to go home. That's where God starts with us, not at our moments of pride, not when we're on top of the world. God begins to work in us when we find ourselves in the mud and the muck of the pigs at the moment of human destitution. The only way we ever enter the kingdom of God is humbly confessing that we are destitute. That's why the the call of Jesus on our lives, the reality can only come when we find ourselves admitting we are nothing without him. Some of you here this morning are at that point of destitution. The runaway son remembered in his mind that I have a father and my father is good. I need to go home to my father. When one has never known God's love, he or she can come under great conviction and sorrow about their sins and, and long to have that relationship, and that's a strong conviction. But the stronger conviction is for those of us who know the love of the Father and the joy of worshiping with His family, when those of us who know what it's like to be in the Father's family run away from the family and the Father, the conviction of what used to be but now is not is the hardest conviction of all. Because we know God is good. We know what it feels like to bask in his love. We know the power of his forgiveness. We understand the familiarity of church family. Therefore, our hearts are broken. That moment of destitution, we feel that call to go home. Robert Robinson had been saved out of a tempestuous life of sin through George Whitfield's ministry in England. And shortly after that, at the age of 23, Robinson wrote the hymn, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. He had been a, a runaway boy. He'd found the Father, and he penned these words. Come thy fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Sadly, Robinson, even after his conversion, after writing that hymn, wandered from those streams of mercy. And like the prodigal son, the hymn writer went away to a far country of carnality. 
Till one day he was traveling by stagecoach and sitting beside a young woman who was engrossed in a book and she ran across a verse and she thought it was beautiful and she wanted to know what the stranger was sharing the stagecoach thought about it. So she said, let me read you these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So what do you think that means? The hymn writer burst into tears and said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feelings now that I had then. There are hard convictions in our life when we've never known God or the grace of his forgiveness. But once we've known that grace and forgiveness and we find ourselves once with the father and his family and we run away to a faraway country to get away from the authority of the father and the authority of the family, we find ourselves absolutely miserable. So the runaway son remembers It's good for even the servants in my father's house. Perhaps, though I can never be a son again, perhaps if I go home, I can be a hired servant. Sometimes when you've been disobedient to a parent, it is scary to go home. Like the teenager who came in at 2 a.m., his curfew was midnight, he got home, he was trying to sneak in. Now, you all looking like you've never done this. He, he turned off the car lights before he turned into the driveway. That's a good plan. He actually shut off the engine so he could just kind of coast in to the driveway. He carefully opened the door and actually took off his shoes before he stepped inside. Those sock feet with no lights and no engine noise, he was creeping down the hall to his bedroom, and all of a sudden he heard his mother call out, John, what time is it? It's midnight, Mama. It's midnight, he replied. And right then the cuckoo clock went off and cuckooed twice. And so there John stood in the hallway and gave 10 more cuckoos right in rhythm and line or the clock. <laughs> Sometimes it's scary to go home. But we don't have to be afraid of coming home to the Heavenly Father. My favorite verse in this wonderful parable is in verse 20. He got up and he came to his father. The one who'd wanted to be in a faraway land. He got up and he came to his father. But here's the best part. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While he was still a long way off. The father Seemingly, he had gotten up every morning, had scanned the horizon. He knew the gate of the walk of his son, and he had searched over the horizon looking, is this the day that my boy will come home? You see, the father had been looking for the son while he's still a long way off. The father sees him, 
The father was longing in his heart that the boy would find his way back home. It would have been an embarrassment to a father of that culture, but he ran to meet the boy when he saw the gate of his son coming home. He felt compassion for him, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. Some of you here this morning, God's looking over the horizon every morning, wondering, is this the day he'll come home? Is this the day she'll long for my grace and my fellowship? Verses 21 through 24, the son is aware that the father owes him absolutely nothing. He's coming back as a slave, but he is received into sonship. Not my boy. He won't be a servant. Go get a robe. Go get a ring. Put some sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. My son was once lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. If you're away from the Father, every morning he looks to the horizon, longing for reunion with his wayward child. In Gore Vidal's book, Lincoln, tells about the day the president's counselors came to discuss time after the war, which was drawing to a close. They wanted to punish the South as a vanquished enemy. And when they asked Lincoln how he planned to deal with the South, Lincoln said, and I quote, I will treat them as if they never left. I will treat them as if they never left. That's the way God wants to treat me. That's the way the Father is willing to treat his family. If you yourself this morning have traveled to a faraway land and you find the call, the Father upon you, he looks over the horizon for you to come home. And when you do, he will get out the robe. He'll get out the ring. He'll put sandals on your feet and he will say, my boy was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. You're welcome back to the family. Some of you need to come home to the father and the family. We start home when we deliberately move from lethargy and despair. In verse 28, he says, get up and go. I will get up and go to my father. The emphasis is on the immediacy. I need to get up and I need to get up and go now. And sometimes it happens at this moment or it never happens at all. Being away from the father can turn us into semi-paralyzed sleepwalkers. There's a moment that we will come back to the Father or we will never come back at all. And when we start home, we have no claim except the Father's grace. We have no excuse or extenuating circumstances. The Son doesn't make any excuses. I am wrong. I'll come back as the lowest laborer on the farm, Father. We do not come back to the Father making any claims rather than the claim we have on His grace. Look at verse 19. The boy says, make me 
Oh, God, make me. And the rest is up to his grace. Stanley Jones writes about a moment, a crucial moment, when he found himself away from the Father and close to spiritual disaster. For months after my conversion, writes Jones, I was running under cloudless skies, and then suddenly I tripped and almost fell, pulled back just this side of sin, and was shaken and humiliated. I could come that close to sin. I thought I was emancipated from sin and found I was not. And I went to the church meeting, and I'm grateful that I didn't stay away. I went, but my music had gone. I'd hung my harp on the weeping willow tree, and as others spoke of their joys and their victories in Christ that week, I sat there with tears running down my cheeks. I was heartbroken. After the others had spoken of their victories, the leader of the church meeting, John Zink, said, Now, Stanley, tell us what's the matter. I told them I couldn't and I wouldn't, but I, I asked for them to pray for me. And like one man, they fell to their knees and they lifted me back to the bosom of God by faith and love. We got up from our knees and I was reconciled to my heavenly father, to the group and to myself. I was reconciled. The universe opened its arms and took me in again. The estrangement was gone. I took my harp from the willow tree and began to sing again the song of Moses and the Lamb. Yes, especially the Lamb. The cross had become my refuge and my release. What a crucial moment in my song of ascents. The moment when I lost my music. My destiny was in the hands of a group that morning. I was a bruised reed. Suppose they had broken me. I was a smoldering wick. Suppose they had snuffed me out. Just one criticism. I told you so. I knew it wasn't real. It was too good to be true. He was riding for a fall. But they never uttered a word of criticism or even thought of one as far as I could see. The reaction was nothing but redemptive love. The group became redemptive. And I experienced love incarnate in the church, the Father is calling you home. A counselor writes that Sally was one girl in the group who seldom ever spoke up. She had been found on the floor of her home, starving in her apartment. She had totally withdrawn from work and from friends at a deep depression. The hospital staff had nursed her back to health. She looked healthy now. If you were to see her in the shopping mall or at church, you would think she was just another young, professional, single woman. One day, one of the girls in the group spoke about her harsh father, and Sally spoke her first words in the whole group she'd ever said, at least your father knew you were alive. Trying not to appear too anxious, the counselor tried to coax more out of Sally to find what her hardship had been. He led her into a deeper conversation when Sally said, When I was a little girl, I loved long summer afternoons. There was no homework to study. It would stay daylight so long you'd stay out. And, and then as the sun began to set, the moms and the dads would come out and my friends would hear the shout, Mary, come home, it's time for dinner. Or John, come in, it's getting dark. Stephen, it's time to come home right now. I'm not going to wait anymore. 
She said, my father never called my name, not once. Sometimes I would stay out later till it was really dark and even getting cold. And I, I thought if I stay out late enough, my father will call my name. But eventually I would always give in and go home because my father was never calling me home. Once, Sally said, I dreamed I was outside with all my friends and my daddy was the first one with a loud, strong voice. My daddy called my name. He called me to come home. And I remember waking up so sad that it was only a dream. Your heavenly father is not like Sally's daddy. Your heavenly father is the father of the story told by Jesus. He is calling you to come home today. He looks over the horizon every single day, longing and pondering, will this be the day that my sons and my daughters come home back into the family to the place of forgiveness, and I'll treat them as if nothing has ever happened. My grace will flow. I will put the ring on his hand. I will put the robe on his back and sandals on his feet. My boy was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Your father calls you by name. Come home today. Isaiah 42, 6 and 45, 4, he says, I have called you by name. I have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand and I will keep you. Are you far away from the father? Have you left the family? He waits and he longs. He peers and he ponders. Will my boy be back home today? Oh God, thank you for your grace. This story is all of our stories. For we all have tried to run far away from the Father. We all have pondered our minds that we know a better way than God's way. We've tried to get away from the church, from the family. And today, we find ourselves in the pig pen, pondering what it'd be like just to go home. Amen.